This is your Kick-Ass Life Podcast, episode number 232 with guest Scott Stabile. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey there, Ask Kickers. Welcome to another episode. I am so excited about today's guest. Scott Stabile is here and he has such an incredible story of resilience and self-love. And I've wanted to have him on the show for quite a long time now. So I finally got him on for you. I'm going to tell you a little bit about him in just a minute, but I am so excited about something. I am busting at the seams. We actually weren't going to do this until July, but decided to move it up for other reasons. So I'm kind of flying by the seat of my pants during this introduction. And I usually would have more time to prep. And I should know by now not to just like turn the mic on and start talking when I'm excited, but I'm going to take a risk. I'm feeling really risky today. What we have decided to do is stop any advertisements or sponsorships. Um, So the end of August is going to be, we have some commitments that we have to do, but at the end of August, that's it with advertising and sponsorships. The thing is, it takes a village to run this here show. I had no idea (laughs) when I first started, but in order to keep the podcast as professional as possible with editing and all of the help that goes into it. I have a team of, when I say team, it's like, it makes people think there's like 11 people. There's literally three of us total. Emily and Darlene are my main squeezes over here uh, in the YKAL team. And it, there are some production costs. I won't lie. It takes, you know, it's to be totally transparent. It's anywhere between four and $500 a month to keep the show going. And with nearly 250 episodes, I mean, you can imagine that it adds up. That's why we started doing advertising and sponsorships. I only chose advertising for products and services that I absolutely loved and used myself. I turned down a lot of advertising and anyway, What we have decided to do is move over to Patreon. Some of you may have already heard about it. You may be our patrons for other podcasts or I don't even know, like there's all kinds of like artists and things that use Patreon. I subscribe to a couple of different podcasters and writers myself to support their work and talking to the team about it, we decide that this would be something that we're going to try out. What that means is that you can become a patron to the show for as little as a dollar an episode. And there are only three options. It's either a dollar an episode, $2 an episode, or $4 an episode. With each of those tiers comes bonuses and perks. We are, so today, as this comes out, it's June 6th. If you are one of the people that listen to it the day it comes out, most likely you are not. But we are officially opening the Patreon party on June 11th, which is actually the anniversary of my 10 years of blogging. Isn't that fun? 
Uh, we're opening it on June 11th. And if you sign up before the end of the month, before June, on or before June 30th, there are extra bonuses for y'all. I'm not going to list them over here. You can go over to patreon.com slash Y-K-A-L. That link, of course, is in the show notes. Patreon.com slash Y-K-A-L, where you can read about all of the bonuses. I am giving you a class um, that has four audio lessons in it. So much value, you guys. (laughs) I'm giving it all to you for people who sign up before the end of the month. If you're listening to this late and you missed that deadline, there's still a ton of perks if you become a patron. There are things like I'm going to do a monthly Ask Me Anything video where me and my dog Giselle will be on live and you can literally ask me anything and you can catch the replay if you don't, if you can't make it live. There are perks like getting the podcast a day early. I am going to take Q&A episodes from patrons. So if you have a question that you think would be great for the podcast, come and be a patron. And I'm going to start doing those once a quarter, the Q&A episodes, which by the way, those are my most downloaded episodes, the the listener Q&A episodes. You'll have your opportunity to have your question answered on those episodes. I'm also going to, like, if I have a guest coming on, like a well-known guest and I, you know about it and I'm going to tell you guys ahead of time, hey, so-and-so, you know, Michelle Obama is coming on the podcast. What do you want me to ask her? Hey, it could happen <laughs> or something like that. So it's it's giving you the opportunity to be a part of the show. And I'm sure that I will come up with more ideas as time goes on about how my patrons can be a part of the show. I wanted it to be, I wanted to give more back to you than just having you support the show and then you get the podcast. The podcast will still always be free. If you decide not to be a patron, that's totally fine. You can still get the podcast for free, but we are moving over to this platform so that the show can be supported, so my team can be supported, and we don't have to have advertising and sponsorships anymore. So I feel like it's a win-win for everyone. Patreon.com slash Y-K-A-L. I'm so dang excited. Try to sign up before June 30th so you can get all the extra bonuses. All that being said, let's move over into the episode today. Let me tell you a little bit about Scott before we jump in. Scott Stabile is the author of Big Love. His inspirational posts and videos have attracted a huge and devoted social media following, including over 350,000 Facebook fans and counting. A regular contributor to the Huffington Post, he lives in Michigan with his partner and conducts personal empowerment workshops around the world. So without further ado, here is Scott. Scott, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Andrea. I I have been watching you from afar for a while now. I think the first time I heard of you was the first time you were on um, my friend Laura and Holly's podcast, the, the Home Podcast. Okay. And I was just intrigued and started following you on social media and love what you have to say and your message and your story and everything. So I'm just really excited to introduce you to to my audience. And I want to jump right in because you have a book called Big Love, which we will link up to in the show notes. Everyone needs to go out and read it. But in there you say, this. I love this quote, nothing stands to transform us, our relationships and the world more than a commitment to live our lives from love. And it sounds so easy. Easy, right? <laughs> yeah, sure. Always. <laughs> Just put that on your to-do list. Can, but can you can you say can you say more about that easy easy thing to do? 
Yeah, I mean, I can I can talk forever about love. Also, I didn't know you were friends with Holly and Laura. Yeah, we, yeah. Been they, chatting before this, and that didn't come up. I adore them both so much. Yeah, they've both been guests on my recovery series, and yeah, just good people. Yes, for sure. So love, my experience of love, which I think is aligned with the experience of probably everyone in the world at some point in their lives or many times, is that nothing feels better than... Right operating in love, nothing, you know, giving love to another person, being on the receiving end of love from another person. Like these are the moments we long for in our lives. And that what I've seen time and time and time again is that when we're operating from that place, and when I'm referring to love, I'm talking about the energy of love, you know, that what I see is the vibration that is beneath all of the noise and insanity that we see in the world outside of ourselves and inside of ourselves and inside of our minds. So beyond all of that, when you peel away all that busyness and craziness, all that's left for me is this pure energy of love. And when we're living our lives from that place, we are only contributing in a positive way to our lives and to the lives of everyone around us. So it's not easy. You know, it takes, it takes effort. It takes concentration. It takes awareness and it takes work, even though it shouldn't, because this is the thing that, that it's like our essence, right? Yeah. Well, Mm -hmm. yeah. And we all know how good it feels. Mm -hmm. And that's, what's so crazy to me is like everyone has experienced the power of love in their lives in some way. And we all steer away from it still, even though we know like, my God, when I'm, when I'm coming at life from this place, everything changes, you know? And when I speak about love, because it sounds, it can sound really airy fairy, or it can sound esoteric. Like, what what are you really talking about with love? When I'm talking about love and action, I'm talking about how do you start your day when you're looking in the mirror and instead of the self-abuse and criticism and you're too fat and you're too short and you're too this and you're too that, you know, why? When, the moment you have awareness around that self-abusive dialogue, can you shift it then to kindness and to loving thoughts toward yourself? You know, that's one, that's love in action. When you, when you leave your home and you're out in the communities and you're shopping in the stores, are you operating from a place of kindness with people that you see on the streets? That's love in action. These are all ways we can operate from the energy of love. Every day we're afforded countless opportunities to be present in that energy. And every time we are, I believe we're only, we're only serving the world positively. You know, it's only when, we add all the conditions to love, Mm -hmm. you know, which then it's not love when we, you know, I love you if I, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like when we Mm -hmm. add those conditions or I will, you know, or I love myself if exactly, then that's not love anymore. You know, that's the mind, that's the ego that's pulling us from love. Um, so that's, you know, that's the whole essence with big love. There were, you know, a few different things I wanted to do with the book, but Probably the biggest is just to encourage people, you know, to ask them the question, like, what does love invite me to do in this moment? And to consider how their lives change once they start operating from love more often. And and I've been rambling a little, but I want to say one more thing about it is that I don't pretend to be someone who's always operating from love. I want to be super, super clear about that. You know, I can be a total asshole and Mm -hmm. a jerk and impatient. And, you know, I could put my partner on the line with you right now. He'll give you countless (laughs) examples, you know, and, but, but I, I'm super conscious of 
pulling myself back, like doing my best to take responsibility as quickly as possible when I'm being an asshole or judgmental or whatever it is I'm being and getting myself back to love as quickly as possible, you know, and recognizing we're all human. We all fall off the love train. That's, that's totally natural and okay. But is our commitment to get back on? Because if our commitment is there, we're going to find ourselves operating from that energy way more often in our lives. I love this conversation. I've, I've had a couple of guests on who, um, you know, I had one guest on who had, you know, dedicated her life to the teachings from A Course in Miracles and and things like that. And, and it's always really interesting to me because I, and I don't know maybe if my listeners are doing this too, because then I start to do like a self inventory. Like, do I do this? <laughs> but you're right. It can be really esoteric. And I, I think maybe let's back up for a minute because I'm really curious about how you came to, to follow these lessons and to, to then write books about it and become a teacher of it because you're, your story of what happened to you when you were a teenager is not one that you would think you would turn out this way. So can you start there and tell us what happened with your parents and then, and then how did, how did where you are now evolve? Sure. Well, I mean, when I was 14, my parents were shot to death at their market in Detroit, which obviously completely uprooted my life in every way possible. And my siblings, I at the time was the youngest of seven kids. One of my brothers has since passed away. I think I went into survival mode at that point, And I, I'm grateful that I did. I don't think I made the conscious choice, but at the time what I did with my parents' murder was just bury it away completely, like locked it away. Once a year, I'd have a really intense cry Mm-hmm. And then I'd lock it away again. Literally, it was like mm-hmm. a clockwork. Once a year, I would cry about it. And I created a big secret around it. I, I transferred schools and moved in with my eldest sister and her husband and son and would, wouldn't tell anybody about my parents. It was very, it was really overwhelming information to lay on anyone. No one knew how to handle it. At the time I was only 14. So a 14 year old without parents is strange enough. And then a 14 year old with murdered parents was totally not the norm in suburban Detroit where I was at the time. And I couldn't, I couldn't handle people's overwhelm or their pity or any of it. So it was this big secret, you know, and it was only, And that's kind of how I functioned. And then in my 20s, after graduating from college, I moved to San Francisco. And soon after my move there, got a job at a a world gift store, but it was a very new age slant to the the store. And they had an incredible book section and all of these self-help, personal development, spirituality books. And this was my first this was really my introduction to that world. Mm-hmm. This was not anything I was aware of or was thinking about. I had never even heard of the word enlightenment, you know, and, and here are all these books talking about it. And it was for me, one of those moments of, um, coming home to something that you're experiencing for the first time, you know, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes you discover this thing and you're like, okay, why wasn't I aware of this? And this feels this totally resonates with me in every way. Hmm. And that's what these books were opening me up to just these ideas on love and compassion and forgiveness and all of, and, and sitting in your pain and, you know, and dealing with your grief instead of trying to run from it, all these different things. And that was really when, and I started meeting a lot of people who were all, who were working at this, this store and, and they were all like these really loving, peaceful people. And they weren't talking about 
career goals in terms of money and power and things like that. What they were talking about was like wanting to be as loving as possible, wanting to become enlightened, wanting to be as peaceful as possible. Like these were their life's goals. And I'm like, this is amazing. You know, this is beautiful. Yeah. Okay. Like, I, need, I have another question. I'm sorry for a second. Please. Because yeah, so these please. people, did you like seek them out? Did you think to yourself, I, I really want to have in my life these types of people? Or did it, was it just like accidentally, like I'm using air quotes, like how did that happen? Well, they all worked at the store. This, what I, I mean, there's a funny, there's a funny story that comes from, well, funny is one word for it, but I mean, several of the people who worked at this, you know, this store magnetized that type of people. It was right. a metaphysical store. So the people who were shopping there generally and the people who were working there tended to be interested in personal growth and enlightenment. Right. You weren't going to get like you people, know I mean? you know, working at Wall Street and, you know. Like, exactly. <laughs> right. exactly. Like this store magnetized it completely. So that's where I was working alongside all of these these people and getting to know them and befriending them. The funny story, which we may get into at some point or not, and it's fine either way, is that several of them actually ended up having a spiritual teacher and being a part of a cult that I ended up becoming a part of, um, which is a whole different story. But at the time, this was a beautiful, incredible thing, and it was really opening me up. And what I was starting to discover was that I have not I have not really dealt with the loss of my parents as well, I shouldn't say I haven't dealt with it because we deal with things. However, we deal with them, Mm -hmm. but I knew there was room to really feel and grieve in a different way Mm -hmm. than I had allowed myself to do. I knew that I I hadn't really let myself cry and rage over losing my parents for years. You know, at the time now I'm like 24 and I lost them at 14 and had never really just let myself melt into the feelings of that loss And what I also recognized was that because I hadn't, it had also prevented me from really establishing the deepest possible connections with people because I had built such a big secret around my loss and my grief. And I had, I had shut myself down from feeling I'd created so many walls around it that I hadn't really allowed people to know me you know, fully. Mm -hmm. And we all do this in our own different, you know, everything I was doing there isn't, isn't what we all don't do in our different ways. But this was my first time that I was bringing awareness to it and seeing how the choices I had made around grieving my parents, how it had limited my life and that I could make different choices. And what I was also seeing at the same time through reading and through the people I was meeting is that what I connected with the most was that I wanted love as the guiding force in my life. At the time I went to um, a lunch with the manager of the store who had become a very close friend and we were out at lunch one day and I was sitting there and I was bitching about some friend. I was in a fight with some friend and, you know, bitching and blaming and all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. And she just kind of looked at me and put her hand on mine. And I remember this so, so vividly. And she just said, look, Scott, there's no justification for lack of love, period. There's no justification for lack of love. And what? And you know how you can be given information or messages. You can see the same meme a thousand right. times, you know, in different words. But, but there are moments when the planets are aligned in such a way, you're open in such a way, and things are worded in such a way that you receive that information differently. And that was one of those moments for me in my life. That that message entered me and I got it. I understood that 
if I'm operating outside love, I'm in my head. Mm -hmm. If I'm trying to justify not being kind and loving, I'm in my head. That's all the ego's work. And oh, please go ahead. Well, I just, I uh, kind of indirectly related. I, what I hear a lot from my audience is this sort of stress and anxiety and panic, if you will, about finding their life purpose. And I'm always saying your path is your purpose. You don't have to have this thing, this tangible thing that is your purpose. And when you were saying all of that, my, my question is, do you feel like that is your life purpose to, to live your life from a place of love? You know, I would say it's one of them. I, I, I've always, the idea of finding purpose has been one of honestly the biggest stressors of my right? life. Right? Yeah, no, it, it really, it, it caused me so much misery feeling like I wasn't aligned with my destiny. I didn't know what I was here to do. And honestly, I think that's all bullshit and nonsense. Like I, it's, it, it doesn't matter. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. so when you ask me that question, I feel like right now in my life, yeah. Well, no, the truth is yes, because I feel like love is that important, but saying like, I want to be a loving person. That's a lot of people's purposes in a way. Like I think in how that's going to manifest in my life is what I'm less worried about. And that's what used to yeah. always, you know, just kill me. It's like, I know, I, I know I, I want to be a loving, kind, good person. Okay. What does that look like? Other mm-hmm. than just showing up that way, you know what I mean? And, and recognizing that, yeah, so I don't believe we have to know our passion and purpose. And I think if you're someone out there listening who's really worried about that and, and really wanting to know what I – and but don't, I would just encur- encourage you to get more curious in your life because I think that it's very hard to put the pressure of finding our passion on ourselves, but I think it's very easy to explore those things we're curious about because we may not know what we're passionate about, but, but you're likely to be curious about a lot of different things. I totally and agree. Explore through your curiosity because so often the things we're curious about, we give them a little time and attention and suddenly we find that that, that path of curiosity is leading us into something that we feel more passionate about, Mm -hmm. you know, but the more pressure we put on ourselves to have a clear purpose and to know what our destiny is, we can't really know that things are changing all the time. All we can really do is really is consider like, what is, where am I going to find meaning right now? Or what brings me joy? What's making me smile? What's making me Mm -hmm. laugh? Or what's not boring me? You know what I mean? Just like, Live your life. It cause it can play. cause so many hangups. And I don't know if you're familiar with the late Angela's Arian. She no. just a very, very wise human being. And one of the lessons and teachings that she had was called the four addictions. And and one of them was that we as humans are addicted to the need to know. And yes. this is a great example of that. Like we like we have this feeling like we need to be able to name it. We need to know what it is. And I, I again, one of the downsides I think to our giant human brain that we have, <laughs> mm-hmm. we want to make meaning of things. Like we love story and and to be able to label it. And then too, I think it also kind of screws us up because we see people in personal development who are, you know, that's what I get from people is they're like, oh, it's so great that you're living your purpose. And and I'm like, is it? Yes. Like, I don't know if this is. <laughs> so I just right. want to go. Exactly. Maybe, yeah. maybe not. I don't know. I think all you need to know is like, are you, are you fine with what you're doing right now? Like, Do I have joy. Feel, mm-hmm. That's the thing I encourage people to consider is like make choices that are aligned with what feels good. Like if you're, if you're finding yourself making a lot of choices in your life that don't really 
feel that good, I would consider why are you making those choices? You know, and if you find and 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 focus on the ones that do feel better. You know, that that's where I feel like we have we're really empowered to create profound change in our lives is simply by paying attention to the choices we're making and how those choices make us feel mm-hmm. and give our attention more to the ones that feel better, you know, and yeah. then yeah, you know what I mean? And like, who knows what your, who knows what your purpose is? And maybe, and, and also I think there are people listening who probably feel that they are living their purpose and that's beautiful too. I, I think it's all, if that, that's how you feel about your life and that feels good to you. Wonderful. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm super greedy, honestly, when it comes to feeling good, I'm like, if you need to know your purpose and you found it, beautiful. If it's stressing you out, let go of the need to know beautiful, like whatever works for creating a more peaceful life for yourself. I'm interrupting this episode to let you know about one of our sponsors care of raise your hand if you're like me. And sometimes you take vitamins and sometimes you don't personally, I've really struggled with knowing exactly what I need beyond a generic multivitamin. The thing is 90% of people fall short of FDA recommended guidelines for at least one vitamin or nutrient. That's where care of comes in. So I recently signed up and started using them and they have this fun online quiz that makes it really easy to figure out what vitamins and supplements you specifically need. So when you join, they'll ask about your diet, your health goals and lifestyle choices. And the way it works is that they use those answers to create personalized vitamin packs just for you. Ta-da! Recommendations are based on clinical research and traditional medicine with input from doctors and nutritionists. So every month you get this really cute, easy to store personalized box that includes individually wrapped packets with your specific vitamins and supplements for easy grab and go. And it has your name on it. And it has these fun little facts. I just absolutely love everything about it. And it costs about 20% less when compared to similar brands at local drug and health food stores. For 25% off your first month of personalized care of vitamins, visit takecareof.com and enter kickass as the promo code. That's takecareof.com and enter kickass, all one word, as the promo code. One of my most downloaded episodes is an episode that I had a guest on who specifically talked about forgiveness, and I got a lot of feedback on that. So how were you ultimately able to forgive the man who murdered your parents? Yeah, I love talking about forgiveness because it's 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 forgiveness is so powerful for me. Forgiveness is the ticket to freedom, honestly, one mm-hmm. of the tickets to freedom in our lives. And I found that the path to forgiveness is through empathy. And I found this over and over and over again, and I, I certainly found it with the man who, who killed my parents. It was like, you know, at the time, again, I was a teenager and, and the last thing I was thinking about was forgiveness. And the the times that I would think about him, it was with anger and, you know, rage and vengeful thoughts and hating him and yeah, all of, of those things that you would expect. Mm-hmm. And again, in my twenties, when I was really starting to, I guess, become more aligned with spiritually speaking with like what, you know, more aligned with love and compassion and these, these tenets that made more sense to me, I, I started to recognize that it was, it was going to be forgiveness that was ultimately going to help shift me out of this toxic, hateful feeling that I had for him when I thought about him. And I didn't necessarily know how I would find forgiveness, but I knew that I was open to it. 
for the first time. And how I found it was I started to 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 think about this man in terms of his humanity and to consider what his life might have looked like that led him to do this horrible thing that he did to my parents. And I like how much pain must he have been in his life? How unworthy and unseen must he have felt throughout his life? Because without knowing the specifics of his experience, what I knew for sure is that nobody who feels loved and seen and worthy and taken care of in this world could ever make the choice to kill people. Mm-hmm. Like that's not mm-hmm. a possibility. Yeah. So uh, though I couldn't relate to vi- that kind of violence, I could certainly relate to feeling unseen and feeling unloved in moments and feeling unworthy. Absolutely. I could relate to feeling so enraged by things people out there in the world said that I wish they would just die. Like I could relate to all of these human things that we all feel. And once I started to connect to that, I, I realized like this man and I are not that much different. He did a horrible thing, made a horrible choice, but he's also a human being, you know, and he's no less worthy than love and forgiveness than any other human being alive. And, and so what I found was that, Once I started to empathize with him and to bring some compassion to that empathy and to to really just recognize, you know, we're basically one in the same. When I would think about him, it was like forgiveness found me eventually. I would think about him and I would feel love in my heart. And then I realized, like, I've forgiven this man. I don't think about him with hate in my heart anymore. I don't think about him with vengeful thoughts. Like that doesn't own me in any way anymore. And I think it's so powerful because... One, because we all know how horrible it feels to live in that unforgiving space when we're just blaming and raging and it, it takes such a, it takes such a negative toll on us emotionally and physically. And I think we all can relate to that. It's just exhausting. It's exhausting. Mm-hmm. It's exhausting. Yes. And I think we also, many of us can relate because many of us have forgiven in our lives. Most of probably all of us at some point, we also know that feeling of forgiveness you know, that comes, Mm -hmm. it's like this release of the weight of 10,000 elephants off your shoulders. You know, it's a freedom. And I think I'd like to, if I may, you know, go from forgiveness and still talk about empathy for a second, because I think that that's what we're seeing such a lack of in our country right now is empathy for one another. And it's why we're seeing all these vitriolic, hateful conversations and people screaming at each other and not listening in any way to each other. It's, it's hurting our world. It's hurting each, each of us individually and it's hurting our world. And I think that, that one of the answers for that is empathy is just taking some time to imagine what it's like to walk in the other person's shoes And that doesn't in any way mean you have to condone what they're saying or doing. You can still, you know, make your point with clarity. You can still oppose what they're saying. But can you do it with empathy? Because when we show up to dialogues with empathy, I found it's impossible to show up with hatred in your heart. Mm -hmm. And and if we can remove that hatred that we're seeing – it creates a, a pathway for, for conversation that actually stands a chance of moving our country forward, you know, in love, in compassion, at the very, at the very least in civility. Yeah, at the very least in civility. And yeah. what I was going to say is, is empathy and compassion, yes, and boundaries. 
Yes, alleluia. <laughs> because I think some people, my people tend to be a little dichotomous in their thinking and black or white. You know, it's like, oh, I either, you know, I, I'm compassionate and empathetic towards all these people. And then I turn into a doormat. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Where's the line? And so I always want to just add in there. Sometimes we can still have compassion and empathy for people and really understand that they are truly doing the best they can. And perhaps to us, that best is intolerable. So then it comes yeah, to boundaries. It's not an either or for yeah. sure. Like I think uh, for me, boundaries, are, it's one of the most respectful things you can do for yourself and others. Yeah. You know, it's like, I don't think, and boundaries is just like, what works for me? What doesn't, you know, mm-hmm. this is what works for me. This is what doesn't. And then if you find that you're engaging with people in your life after you've stated your boundaries clearly, who are not honoring them in any way, it's incumbent upon you to ask yourself, why am I in relationship with people who are not respecting my boundaries? You know, it's so easy to point fingers. It's so easy to say, look at what they're doing. They're always doing this. They're always making everybody else wrong. Yeah. And it's like, okay, that may be true. And turn that mirror around. It's like, why are you operating in relationship with this type of person, Mm -hmm. you know, because that's the only place we can find our power is when we take responsibility for the choices we're making. We can never own another person's choices. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Oh, I know that noise was from a 13 and a half year relationship where I was tolerating such bullshit and blaming and being angry. And if only you would change, then we could have our shit together and everything would, everybody would be happier and it all fell apart. And then I finally had to, yeah, look in the mirror. Yeah. You're not alone there, honey. I think like probably uh, most listeners, myself for sure, we've all been in a version of that relationship yeah. waiting for them to change instead of being like, what the fuck am I and doing here? It's like, not even, yeah. I mean, this is a whole module we do in, in one of my signature programs called raise hell where it's tolerations. Like what are you tolerating? Sometimes it's like a really messy desk and you're all stressed out and anxiety ridden mm-hmm. and overwhelmed. Well, maybe if you, I mean, not, not that I'm speaking from experience, but it's like sometimes <laughs> it's small things or like your inbox and things like that. And sometimes it's big things like your intimate partner. Absolutely. And it, it, the small things matter. I really they believe do. this. There's a, there's a, there's a chapter in the book on, it's called tea time and mm-hmm. it's all about self care. And the example I use, I use two examples. It seems so minor. One was from not timing my green tea and always drink. Cause if you oversteep green tea, it tastes like shit and always drinking these bad cups of green tea. Yes. Cause I wouldn't time them and finally <laughs> just taking 15 seconds to time my tea. And, and then also underwear, like wearing uncomfortable underwear yes! and squirming in them while I was writing this day for a couple hours. And I'm like, why did these underwear, I, they're so uncomfortable. And then this alarm is like, you can take them off. You don't have Go to, to wear Target. these underwear. You know what I mean? Like this is a choice you can make. And those choices are small. You, you know, we, we look at those as simple choices, but I, I really don't believe they are because I believe that any choice we're making that is not aligned with taking care of ourselves is then a choice we're making that is not taking care of ourselves. So every mm-hmm. time I was drinking this shitty cup of green tea in your uncomfortable based, underwear, in my uncomfortable <laughs> underwear, basically the energy that I'm putting out there to the universe, to the world, if you believe in God, whatever you believe in or don't, the energy you are operating in is I don't love myself enough to take care of myself in this way. And that is no small thing to state energetically because when you state that and you operate in the world from that place, the world is going to respond to you. 
in that mm-hmm. place. And conversely and beautifully, and this is one of the ways in which I find life to be so generous, is that when you start to take care of yourself in these little ways that really, really matter, the the world around you is going to recognize that and respond in kind too. And not all the time. I, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in the universal law of attraction. You know, I think generally speaking, the energy we put out in the world is what we receive, but it doesn't mean that if you're you're stepping into your community with a big smile on your face and really open, that everyone's going to smile back and be open. I don't think it's it, it's a hundred percent of the time thing, but I've noticed it over and over again in my life is that how I'm how I'm showing up for myself and for the world is it generally the world reflects back at me very, very similarly, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Generally I've, I've had generally. my, I've had a tumultuous relationship with the law of attraction and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. And yeah, but I, I, I don't, we'll go, we'll go down that path the next time I have you on, but I want to, okay. I, I wanted to ask you about, cause I'm a big fan of writing as a, as a tool to healing and processing different things. And, and I know it is for you. So can you speak about how that's worked for you? What does your process look like? Anything at all that might be helpful to the listeners? Yeah, I mean, my process is all over the place, but I'll I'll speak first to just writing as a powerful tool. I'm doing a workshop right now called Writing Yourself, W-R-I-T-I-N-G, mm-hmm. Writing Yourself, because I if if you know how to write, then you're a writer. And yes. if you use writing as a tool for your healing and self-exploration, you are going to be doing an amazingly powerful service for yourself. Because in my experience, it's like something comes through in writing that doesn't come through anywhere else. You know, if you're, Mm -hmm. let's say you're, you're really frustrated by something that went on between you and your partner. And you're thinking it and you're replaying it in your head and you're, you're, you know, you're going through it and you're basically replaying the same thing over and over and over. What I found is that if I sit down with a pen and a journal or at the type, at the computer, whatever, what happens in writing is that we end up coming upon new levels of self-discovery that I feel like I don't get to when I'm just in my head on my own. Like there's something that happens in the process of writing that has opened me up to, to so many different paths and avenues that I hadn't considered and hadn't thought about. It's like this, it's, it's like magic really. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't, again, it doesn't happen every single time I sit down to write, but I, but also I found that there's the other powerful thing that happens for me in writing is it's an energy release. So when we're sitting on all of this anger or sadness or whatever it is that we all sit on, instead of feeling because we live in a in a, a world that's so afraid to feel their feelings, which is in such great part why people are numbing themselves with alcohol and drugs and TV and social media and food and all these different things because I feel like we are so afraid to just be present in the discomfort of mm-hmm. life when it's uncomfortable. But writing for me helps release some of that as well. Because one, if you're writing about the thing that's angering you or the thing that's causing you, you know, grief you're you're actually allowing yourself to be present in the emotion instead of hiding from it. So that's powerful on its own. But you're also clearing out some of that energy out of your body. You know, it's yes, writing is a mental thing, but it 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 transcends the mind when you just allow yourself 
to go with it. And it, and it, and it clears energetically, it clears all this stuff that we're just sitting on and, and, and swirling around up. in there anyway. That's what I always tell people. You might as yeah, well so get, get it out. Vomit it out. Mm-hmm. Yes. Vomit this stuff out of you. So I, for so many reasons, writing is such an amazing tool. And also from the creative perspective, like we are all born creative beings. You know what I mean? And I, I've heard so many people say, well, I'm not creative at all. And it's just not true. I mean, if you were a kid who in any way played in any way, you were creative right. and that's still within us and our creativity is a powerful energy to play with. So what I, what, what you're likely to find in your writing, if you're just sitting down, as far as a daily exercise, if you sit down, set an alarm for 10 minutes or 20 minutes and just allow yourself to freeform, right? Like not lifting the pen off the paper, just going stream of consciousness, whatever you're feeling, thinking, whatever, even if it's just, I don't know what to write. I don't know what to write. I don't know what to write. Eventually you're going to get to some stuff and you're going to mm-hmm. see that you're going to get to some stuff that might serve your healing, or you're going to get to st- some stuff that ends up serving your creativity. Yeah. So you can't lose. See everybody? You can't lose. No. It's so powerful. Really. Well, I agree with everything you said, especially, you know, the numbing part and and it's really interesting to me. And I've experienced this too, even a little bit, but how I get a I get a lot of high achievers who who go, go, go and do, do, do. And I had one client in particular, it was probably a couple of years ago, and I gave her the assignment. It was probably maybe like October a couple of years ago. And I said, I don't want you to have any more projects for the rest of the year. Like no home projects projects, no nothing. And, and, and it wasn't about her not doing anything. It was more like sitting in that discomfort of not doing anything and just see what comes up. It's not that I was asking her to like purge all the feelings, just, and that was excruciating for her and all of the things that came up. But I agree with you. I, I sometimes don't understand as someone who grew up in a family where vulnerability was not encouraged. We did not have vocabulary and words for feelings. So if you had anything other than happiness, then you go do that in your room by yourself and come out when you're done. My dad struggled with anxiety and depression and I didn't know how to do that. And so became the queen of numbing everything out. For me, writing is the only way I can process things. Even sometimes talking it out doesn't help. Mm -hmm. I Uh, agree. It's helpful, but I feel like I'm just sort of like retelling stories or articulating. I guess what I'm trying to say is that for me, it's I'm able to dig deeper within the feelings rather than just saying them out loud. Absolutely. Uh, Yes. And when you're, that's the thing for all of, you listening who are writing on your own already or inclined to start in some way. It's when you're, when you're feeling uncomfortable and when you're feeling the most resistance is when you, if you can, that's really when you got to keep going Yeah, because it's resistance is such a beautiful sign of growth for me because it's when you're resistant, that's when the juice is happening. Mm -hmm. That's when you're really getting to the good stuff. That's going to take you where you want to go on your path, but you've got to get beyond the resistance, you know? And so I found in my writing so often I've, I'm circling like hawks. That's the, that's how it feels (laughs) or like vultures. Like I'm circling in the sky and I can see down there what the thing is that I have to dive into. And it, but it's only when you take that dive into it that you're like, Oh my God, you know, this, what a gift this Mm was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it, it, it is hard. I think that I love that you said that like anybody's a writer because I totally believe that to be true. You don't have to be a blogger or an author or have gotten even A's in English or anything or have good grammar. Just 
anybody's a writer. Just just start. Yes. Just start. I I want I don't want to end this interview without, of course, having you tell us what happened when you were in a cult. Like you have to tell us <laughs> that story. Because I honestly don't I don't know any part of that story. So I'm so curious. And I I just I have of course I'm like making up all these things about what it looked like. So so tell tell us the story. Yeah. Yeah, you can't it's hard to drop the cult reference without <laughs> wanting to go back to it. Well, it's not look, it's I mean, it, it definitely was a cult, but it's not like the Jim Jones, you know, okay. Charles Manson type cult. It's not, it wasn't that insidious. It certainly wasn't violent in that way or anything like that. But it was, you know, I, I started working with this guru, you know, because I had befriended all these people. They all had a teacher. They all kept referring to him. So it was only a matter of time before I'm like, I really want to meet this person, you know, because these people were all amazing. And I'm like, let me meet them. And so we, I started to, you know, I met the, the guru and started, um, working with him, became his student. And uh, it's so hard to talk about the cult in a, without taking hours and hours of time, but there's, you know, essentially it was a spiritual community in the Bay area and there was a man who led it. Why I feel it was a cult is because ostensibly what this man professed himself to be was an enlightened master. And the reason I was working with him was because at the time I was obsessed with the idea of enlightenment, which I'm no longer obsessed with. But what did you, okay, stop right there for a second. What did you make up that meant? Enlightenment? Well, like Like, being an enlightenment master and yeah, just enlightenment in general. I kind of saw it as total freedom, like real freedom. You know what I mean? Like like the, like the destination. Yeah. Like you, you become enlightened at some point you're struck by it. Like, but you, you prepare yourself by like, he was, he basically would tell us like he couldn't control us being enlightened, but he could prepare us for that moment. If we're blessed to be struck by enlightenment in this world. So I saw it as this, this (laughs) gift you're given, but that you work for it based on your, your acts and your level of consciousness and all of this. So he said he was enlightened without ego. Enlightenment means you're without ego and you're, he described himself as a puppet of God. So anything he, any of his directives, as he explained it, were, he was being given from God. And so the understanding that was, if we were in resistance to anything he was asking of us, we're resisting our path and we're resisting God. And that basically you say yes to him. And though the whole objective is enlightenment and the whole, you know, what lives in enlightenment is this whole, is free will, right? Is freedom. What really made this a cult, I think, is there, there was free will and that we could choose to leave at any time, but it was really built around appeasing the guru. The whole community was about making his life more comfortable, you know, taking care of him in every way possible, spending hours cleaning his home and do cooking for him. All of our attention and energy was really put on him, but, but as a means of growth for Uh ourselves, as it was explained to us, you know, so it wasn't, I also want to say there was a lot of love in community in this, in this world. And, and I look back on it with a lot of gratitude still. And I recognize that he wasn't who he professed himself to be, and he could be incredibly cruel and incredibly manipulative. And he wasn't enlightened. He definitely wasn't enlightened. I mean, he was ego maniacal and I had to work really hard to convince myself of his enlightenment because I, I kept saying to myself, well, I don't know what it means to be enlightened. So how can I say that he's not if he's saying he is? Right. So I was always coming up against these trust trust issues, 
but convincing myself. And there's a lot of pressure in the cult. I mean, they're about between 20 and 30 core members at any given time. And there's, there's a lot of pressure to accept who he is and what's going on. And there's no allowance for disparaging him in any way or, and, and really not, if you don't agree with him, you're wrong basically because that was it. There was no, there there was was no, yeah, there's no middle ground. Like he is God's puppet. He thought he would, he would, for him, he's Jesus and Buddha. Like that was the level. And we believed it. I thought I was walking among a Jesus or Buddha in my, in our time. You know, I felt like we all did like as lucky as we could possibly be to be in the presence of a divine master. Okay. A couple of questions. Is this person yes. still doing that? You don't have yes. to say who it is. Okay. <laughs> and, and not really a question, but I, I, it seems that you were probably really vulnerable being somebody who your family was just shattered. And I think we all have that. I mean, that's, it's sort of like on a very, very small scale, how I feel about roller derby, like, and CrossFit for some people, it's like this family, like you, you mm-hmm. feel like you are a part of something. And that sounds like what it kind of was and how I think just people get drawn in in general to cults like that. Absolutely. I mean, it really, it really fills that need. I mean, I love because we're, we humans long for connection, mm-hmm. you know, we long for community in general. And this was an incredible community in my life. And I absolutely think, I mean, I've, I've, found, I've gotten clarity around it, you know, in retrospect, it's like I, before my father died, I had a really bad relationship with him. I never, we had no relationship. I never felt loved or seen by him in any way and have spent a lot of my life desperate for approval and to be seen. And I feel like when I, when I reflect, I'm like, Oh my God, you went to the extreme of finding like a a cult leader Mm -hmm. who loved you and adored you and was this father figure, you know, and I, and I Mm -hmm. see how, how that need in me is in part what compelled me to really throw myself into this community. And as a student, what what compelled you to walk away? Cause I know a lot of people stay for decades. Well, I was there 13 years. Oh, wow. You know, yeah, it was a long time. But I wasn't always living in the Bay Area at the time, so I had some separation from it. But, yeah, he was my teacher for 13 years. What compelled me to walk away, and, I mean, it took me about a year from the time I knew I had to to actually finding the courage to, was just recognizing that I didn't trust him, Mm -hmm. you know, and that I wasn't – I couldn't convince myself. I couldn't talk myself into trusting him anymore. I didn't really believe in the path that he was offering. You know, it just, it didn't, I didn't believe it. And I, I saw, I saw manipulations he would do, how we would play people against each other. It just, it, it just really stopped feeling right. I finally walked away, you know, and I, and that was the, mm-hmm. I, there's a chapter about this in Big Love. And mm-hmm. the, the purpose of the chapter was really to remind people because it's, it's, it's very easy when we're a part of a tribe and when all the people around us are, are, are for something and maybe we've grown up to be for that or we've, we've later in life decided we were for it. At any time, if we, if we feel like this person, this book, this philosophy is not resonating with us, does not feel good in our hearts and souls, at any time, we are empowered to make the choice to move on, you know, and that only when we make the choice to move on from the teachers that are no longer, no longer serving us, do we create space 
to bring in teachers that will. And again, in terms of like difficult choices in life, this is a very difficult one. Like Mm -hmm. people, you know, people who've walked away from the religion, even though everyone in their family is all for this, but for them, it's like, this doesn't make sense to me. This doesn't resonate with my heart. That's always going to be a difficult choice to make. But there's, I've said the word freedom a lot. Like there, there are a few freedoms, like living in your authenticity, like honoring your truth, however that plays out. And even if it's not in accordance with all the people who are around you in your life, it's like when you can make more brave choices that are aligned with your truth, my God, your life is going to change in profound, beautiful ways. It just will. Wow. Well, I I just love every part of this conversation. You're so inspiring, and even just the sound of your voice. You you were meant oh, to. This you. is your life purpose, Scott. Oh, <laughs> Bestowed you. onto me, the guru. <laughs> I've loved this conversation too, Andrea. Thank you so much. Well, before we close, I always want to give people one more chance to. If is there anything else that you wanted to say in order to feel complete? Just love yourselves, listeners. Love yourselves as much as you can. Be gentle with yourselves. Be good to yourselves. Yeah. You know, I, I think at the core, it's like I keep coming back to, to self-love in my heart. I'm like, it all starts there. You know, the Buddha had a quote that I love so much. And it's, if you really loved yourself, if you truly loved yourself, you could never hurt another. And that's really what I believe is that when we are aligned with love for ourselves, that's what we have to offer the world. It makes everything easier. Loving ourselves isn't easy necessarily, Mm -hmm. but, but with practice, it becomes easier with awareness of the times that we're being self-abusive and critical. When we're at the moment, we're aware of it. We can shift that dialogue. You know, we can offer some love to ourselves in those moments. How are we taking care of ourselves? You know, are we making time to do the things that bring us joy? These are all ways to love ourselves. And that will, um, it makes the biggest difference. I think Absolutely. I'll leave it there. Yeah, no, it's a great, Great rally cry, and and I love it so much. I thank you so much for your time, and I thank you, listeners, who show up every week to uh, to, to come here and spend some time with me. I know that your your time and space is very valuable, and I do not take that for granted. Thank you so much, and join us next week for another interview. And until then, I will see you out in cyberspace. Bye bye. <laughs> 